I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and uh, to turn to Jonah chapter 1. It'll be in Jonah chapter 1 and 2 this morning. It'll be up on the screen if you don't have your Bible handy. It says this, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. And so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a great and mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship, and he laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. They said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. And so they cast lots. And the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us, on whose account this evil has come upon us? What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? He said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. And so they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. And then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple." The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Amen. 
excited this morning to enter into a, a new sermon series that we're calling Jesus in Every Story. And throughout the, the months of July and August and into Labor Day weekend, uh, we're just going to be looking throughout the Bible at different places, um, different characters in particular uh, from Old and New Testament stories that just um, through their story, we get to see a clearer picture of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And sometimes it's through the good example that they said and say, hey, this person was a good king, but Jesus is the great king. This person was a good prophet, but Jesus is the great prophet. Sometimes it's through a negative example, right? It's sometimes it's, it's through, hey, they did this uh, imperfectly or poorly, and Jesus does it in perfection. And sometimes a story just calls out for Jesus because uh, he's, he's absent. There's this void that's created by his absence that leaves us crying out for, like, where, where's the rescuer? Where's the healer? Where's the one who can make this all right? And in that we see our desperate need for Jesus. So I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a great, a great series. It's going to be a great way to walk through the summer and just, just connect with different biblical passages. Um, but I'm excited to be in Jonah today. And um, uh, man, let's, let's just pray. Let's just ask God to speak into our hearts uh, this morning. Father God, thank you for, for this, uh, this uh, account that we read this morning of Jonah. Uh, thank you for the way that you kept... Um, you kept engaging with him, Lord, even in his running away, even in his disobedience, even in his stubbornness, uh, that you didn't depart from him. You didn't disconnect from him, God, that when he was ready to cry out, you heard his cry and you answered his prayer. I pray that would be each of our stories, God. And I pray that we would learn some powerful things that will impact the way that we live today and that we'll also get a clearer picture of who you are. We come with expectation knowing that you want to reveal yourself today. And so we ask you to do that we anticipate that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so if you've, if you've turned to Jonah, you keep your finger there, but um, the first thing I want to kind of point out is that I really think the Bible wants us to draw these connections between Jonah and Jesus. I think there's a number of places, uh, there's a time when Jesus specifically says, hey, you want a sign? You're not going to get any sign except for the, the sign of Jonah. Like, if you want to look at, to a sign, look at what happened with Jonah, because that's what's going to happen with me. Uh, but there's another, there's another passage, there's another, uh, another account that's shared in each of the Gospels, and I'm going to pull it out of Mark this morning, uh, but it's in Mark chapter 4, uh, beginning in verse 35, and listen to the parallels between this account and what we just read about Jonah. Uh, it says, on that day when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, let us go across to the other side, the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him, and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? But here's where the, the comparison kind of ends, right? Because uh, Jesus awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased. And there was a great calm, and he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this incredible parallel right there in this, this sea voyage, both Jesus and Jonah are asleep through this storm. They're, they get woken up. Uh, but that's where, that's where their stories really diverge. But the end, when, when, when God works his miracle, is that, that those who witness it are just left in awe at wonder at what he has done. 
And so what I want to do for us this morning is I just want to walk through uh, four different themes that I see in this story, ways of seeing how, how it happened in, in, in the account with Jonah, how that impacts our life, and then ultimately how we see that in perfection uh, in Jesus. And the first one uh, centers around this idea of obedience. And uh, I don't know, um, I wasn't raised Catholic, so I don't know how the whole patron saint works. I know there's patron saints of all different sorts of things. I don't know how you qualify for that. But if I were to guess, I would say that patron, uh, the patron saint of disobedience should be Jonah, right? Like he seems like the, the ideal candidate. There's, it's hard to find a, a more clear biblical example of somebody doing the exact opposite of what God wanted them to do. And um, I know we don't know the, the ancient uh, um, Far East uh, geography here, right? Middle East geography, but uh, there's, a, there's a map here where it just shows a little picture. So point A over here is where, where Jonah was in, Judea, in Judah, in, in Jerusalem, in the nation of Israel. Uh, Nineveh is point B over there to the right, kind of a, an overland journey, right? Um, but Jonah jumps in a boat at Joppa, and starts heading out uh, to Tarshish, which is way over here at point C. They don't actually even know exactly where it was, but they know that it was in the exact opposite direction, right? So it's, it's kind of comparable if, if God said to us, like, hey, man, the city of Pittsburgh needs Jesus, and, and we know that's true, right? And so <laughs> if he said to us, hey, sorry for our Pittsburgh guests that are here today, right? Uh, if, if, if he sent us and said, I want you to go to Pittsburgh, and instead you went down to the port of Philadelphia and you got on a boat and headed for London, right? I mean, you couldn't go much more in the opposite uh, direction. And, and we're happy to send, we support missionaries that go to Pittsburgh. I want you to know that. So, so there is a gospel witness there. Um, I don't know why I'm picking on Pittsburgh. I like Pittsburgh. I've got, I've got nothing against it. Just feisty. It's, football season's been too long, you know it. And so it, it's easy to kind of turn him into a two-dimensional character, right, and, and not give Jonah any depth and be like, oh, silly Jonah, he just, he didn't listen, God said do this, he did the exact opposite, like why would he do that, that's so foolish, but, but here's the question, how perfect was your obedience this past week? And you might not even need to go the whole week, maybe you just need to go this morning, <laughs> maybe you need to go into yesterday, but how perfectly did you obey, were there moments this week where you knew what you should have done and yet you chose to go in a different direction. And the question is, why do we do that? Because we all do that, whether you're ready to, to acknowledge it this morning, whether you're ready to admit it. We all do that. And so, so rather than just the rubbernecking at Jonah's disobedience, and uh, let's dig into the heart of why do we do it? And, and, and I think there's a couple reasons. Um, first of all, there, there's a lot of fear, right? That, that the mission that God called him on to was not an easy one. He's, he wanted him to go into the capital of their enemy nation, we find out later that there's 120,000 people at least in this city. It's this great, vast city, and they are, they are uh, uh, deep enemies of, of the nation of Israel. And he's called to go there and, and to proclaim that judgment is coming against them. Uh, it's hard. Sometimes following God's will leads us into conflict. And so we, we don't do it just because we don't like conflict. We like to avoid uh, sometimes God's will causes us not to get into conflict, <laughs> and, and we stubbornly go into conflict, right? So it can work both ways, but, but, but Jonah has a fear uh, of what's going to happen at some level. The other thing that you have to realize is that, 
uh, this is a mission that never really had been done up to this point in the Old Testament. There was times where God spoke through prophets and he would speak a word of judgment against a neighboring nation. But, but up to this point, there's never been a time where God called a prophet to go into a foreign enemy nation and actually proclaim a judgment over them to their faces. And so, uh, so part of it is like, man, it's never been done before. God, I don't, I don't even know what the template is. I don't know how to do that. And maybe you've experienced this in your life where you feel like God's calling you to do something, but nobody in your family has ever done it, or, or nobody, um, nobody is, uh, uh, you just haven't seen an example, a, a role model of how to do it. And so there's just a fear of, no, like, what if I don't know what to do? What if I get so far into it and then I don't know what to do next? God, we can praise God that, um, that Jesus didn't, didn't give in to that, right? That, uh, um, that Jesus knew that what he was going to do was going to create conflict, even though he came... <laughs> Uh, to bring a, a, a word of peace, and yet he knew that his word would cause division. And, and Jesus came to do something that had never been done before, that, that God had never become incarnate flesh and entered in with his people to minister and to serve to them. And so, uh, but those things didn't prevent Jesus from being obedient. The other thing about obedience is that, um, and, and Tim Keller points this out uh, really well, and I just want to say if you enjoyed the sermon today that I would encourage you to grab this book. We have a couple of them down in the resource room. You can grab it on Amazon. Um, uh, it's, it's Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal Prophet, in which he goes in a deep study of the book of Jonah, and a lot of the ideas from, from today um, are expounded in greater detail in this book. But one of the things that Tim Keller says in this book is that um, a lot of times the reason that we enter into disobedience is because we reach a point where we can't conceive of any way that God's way is going to work out, and so we abandon it and we do it our own way. If, if God's way makes sense to us, we're happy to obey it, right? Like if, if what God wants us to do, it seems like, all right, yeah, this, I, I can see that. I can see how this is going to be better for me. I can see how I'm going to get benefit. Then we're happy. We're more than happy to do it. But as soon as God asks us to do something that doesn't make sense, that doesn't seem to have any tangible benefit, or that we can see a much easier and simpler way of doing it, the temptation is to go do it that way. Say, God, I'm sure you just didn't foresee that it was going to play out like this. And if you had known that, then I'm sure you would be okay with me doing it this way. But, but, but that's just a rationalization. That's not, that's not reality. I'm going to tell a really quick story because the guy doing the announcements this morning like, took a long time. So, so I have limited time, right? Um, I, a couple weeks ago, I told you a story about, um, about our cable getting cut. And, um, and, uh, and there's a follow-up this week, right? So, so um, we live in a, a neighborhood with an HOA. The, they sent out guys to trim the bushes. Like three years ago, they cut our cable cord. Uh, super annoying. But fortunately, there was enough slack and there was an extra connection where I was able to actually just take a piece out and reconnect it, and it worked. So it was fine. Um, now, so we saw them coming around again, and both Trina and I had this thing in our mind of like, man, we should tell those guys, like, we'll just do it ourselves. Like, don't. But we both like, and we both like to control things. So... Um, and, uh, but we both, like, felt like we had, you know, this moment of, like, God saying, like, hey, listen, you need to let go. Like, just learn to let go. And so we both, like, let it go and let them come and trim our buses. And sure enough, they cut through the cable again. Um, our kids are watching YouTube, and they're like, Mom, we lost the internet. So Trina calls me. He's like, well, the guys cut the cable. <laughs> I knew it. And I was like, I knew it. And you were just angry, but not really angry at them. It's not like they did it on purpose, you know, but just angry at life. Like, man, sometimes these things happen. It's frustrating. And so I shared a couple weeks ago, I looked up online how to fix it. I went to Home Depot. I got an F connector. I cut the cable. I put the thing on. I reconnected it. It didn't work. And so then I rerouted some wires, and I reconnected it, and then it actually worked. And I was, like, so proud of myself, and I thought that was the end of the story. I was like, all right, God wanted to give me a sense of accomplishment, learn a new skill. I can, I can go with that. Um, but then we noticed that the Internet kept going in and out. 
and uh, some channels that we used to get, we didn't get anymore. <laughs> like, some we turned it in, and it just wouldn't come in. And so finally, I broke down, and I called Comcast, and she's like, hey, I can't get anybody over there today, but I'll schedule it for tomorrow, and I'll give you a $25 credit on your bill. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Like, I wasn't even asking for that, but thank you. Um, so she did that. They send this guy. Uh, he comes up. I expect him to, like, admire my work. Like, wow, did you put this connector on yourself? He walks up. Like, I seriously doesn't even look at it and, like, cuts it <laughs> and throws it behind him, right? <laughs> Gets his tool out, like puts the proper connection on it, and then he looks at it and he's like, there's this like five-way splitter on there, and he's like, did you realize that this, it's coming from the street into your house, back out to this connector, back to your modem? He's like, I'm amazed that you even have internet. Like this, I don't even understand this connection. Like it shouldn't work. Um, so he fixed that, got it like perfect, went inside, and he's like, oh, you actually have old equipment here. Like, you need the new X1 box with the DVR. You get it all for free. You get the voice remote. Uh, the leases came over later uh, that, that day, and then Evie came down. It's like, we got a remote that we can talk to. It's so, like, they were so proud, so excited. Um, and so I got a $25 credit on my bill. I got all upgraded equipment, and we have internet that's faster than it ever should have been, and we should have done it three years ago. And I'm like, okay, God, I get it. <laughs> like, sometimes there's things that you do, uh, there's things that happen that I don't understand why, but if I understood everything and could see everything that you can see, I would just trust you every time because I would know that your way is the best. And, and so that's what he wants us to know. He wants us to understand, like, hey, even if you can't see where this ends, I deserve your trust. I've shown my faithfulness over time. I deserve for you to trust in me. And I know cable TV is trivial. And, and the other lesson I thought maybe he was teaching us is like, hey, maybe we need to stop watching uh, <laughs> the internet and cable. And I was okay with that lesson too, right? But, but God is a God of grace and mercy. So um, he allowed us to experience that. When Jesus was in the garden, it's clear when you read that passage that to take up the cup that God had laid before him was not the deepest desire of his heart. Like, he says, hey, if there's another way, <laughs> I'm looking at the way you've laid out, the way that we planned from the beginning of time, and man, uh, he's sweating, he's he, drops of blood, he's in great anxiety over it, but what does he say? He says, not my will, but your will be done. And that's the key to obedience. We don't have to understand, we're never, you're never going to understand it all. If that's your quest, like, you can just let that go right now. Just let go of it. You're never going to understand it all. Just trust that he knows. He knows, and, and he's, he's deserving of our trust. He's worthy of our trust. I feel like a broken record, but right, make the radical choice to just live in a recklessly abandoned obedience to God every single day of your life. Just, just do what you know he wants you to do, and I promise you, you're going to catch glimpses of why he called you to do it that way, and you're going to begin to, to experience the blessing of living within his will. Tim Keller says something kind of controversial in this book. He says, there's a storm attached to every sin. Now, what that doesn't mean is that every storm in your life is a result of your own personal sin. Sometimes there's storms. People cut your cable wire. You didn't, <laughs> you didn't bring it upon yourself. It just happens, right? There's, there's earthquakes, there's, there's natural disasters, there's things that happen, and it's not always like, oh, you should have read your Bible last week, right? But what he does say, and I think this is true, every time you sin, there's a consequence. Every time you choose to be disobedient to God, it's not like he's there waiting to get you, but the natural result of going outside of God's will is, is pain. It, it, it might look good for the moment, but it's ultimately going to lead you to a place where there is always we always pay a price 
for being disobedient to God. And the more that we can wrap our minds around that, the more that we will live in his will and live in the peace that he wants for our life. So the first line is obedience. The second line that we're going to look at is this idea of, of discrimination and judgmentalism. Notice they, they ask him a series of questions when the, when, the, uh, when the sailors come to him and they say, uh, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? It takes him five questions to get of what people you are, right? He says right away, I'm a Hebrew. <laughs> so which of those answers the questions? Which identity was most important to him? He was incredibly proud of being a Hebrew. He was, and in fact, the other, only other place that we see Jonah in Scripture is in 2 Kings, and he's sent to give a word to a wicked king to say, like, hey, king, you're a wicked king, but God is going to use you to secure the borders of Israel, that, that he's going to establish the territory. And so Jonah's claim to fame is sort of speaking this prophetic word of, of national security, right? That, like, hey, God is with us. He's going to protect us. That's what he staked his claim on. And now God is suddenly saying, like, hey, you, the guy that I said that, 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 that we're going to be safe, I want you to actually now go into the enemy camp, and I want you to proclaim judgment to them and call them to repentance. And he's like, I don't want to do that for those guys. And we'll see later in the story. In a couple weeks, I'm going to preach on Jonah 3 and 4, so I don't want to steal all my own thunder. But, um, but ultimately, he reveals his thing. He's like, hey, God, I knew that if I proclaimed that, that there was a chance that you might forgive them, and I didn't want that to happen. He, had, he, 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 he and, and let me just say, I, I won't go into all the detail, but the Assyrians were cruel and violent people. Um, uh, they, they were wicked. There's a the description of the things that they would do. They would decapitate people, and they would make their family parade with, with the heads on the poles. They would, uh, they, would, they, would, they would torture people. They would cut off people's both arms and their, uh, both legs and one arm so that when they came in victory, they could mockingly shake the hand of the people. I mean, horrific, cruel terrible people. It's understandable that Jonah's like, I don't really want to go share the gospel with them. But, but our hearts tend towards this thing called judgmentalism, right? Where we look at someone and we fix them in that moment. You look at somebody and say, you are a liar. You are broken. You are sinful. Um, rather than looking at people the way that God looks at them as people who are on a, a journey and who are capable of change, who are capable of repentance. If you're here and you have a relationship with Jesus, it's because you were on a path to destruction and God intervened and, and you were given new life and came into his kingdom. And so anybody out there who you view as, as broken and, and, and uh, devalued and, and a sinner and, and whatever judgment you put on them, they're really just at the state that you were before Christ entered into your heart. And so the possibility is that, that he will come and do the same for them. But all these, 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 uh, these things, the, the prejudice, racism, discrimination, bigotry, hatred, all come out of hearts that are proud. Hearts that say, my identity is in, 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 in who I am, right? Whether it's national identity, whether it's, um, whether it's in your occupation, whether it's in your social class. But pride always leads us to dislike, to devalue, to dehumanize other people. And I think there's a strong message in here that God is trying to say, like, hey, like, I have a heart for everyone, even for Nineveh. <laughs> and Jesus says the people of Nineveh are going to stand <laughs> in judgment against those because the people of Nineveh heard and, and, and responded. Spoiler alert. Um, and Jesus says, I'm witnessing to you, and your, your hearts are hard. So I don't need to stand in judgment against you. The people of, N of Nineveh <laughs> will stand in judgment, right? 
we have a capacity for change, and, and praise God for that. And Jesus understood that. That's why he came, right? It says in the Bible that we, while we were enemies of Christ, while we were still sinners, while we were separated, while our fate was, face was set against him, that he came and he reconciled us to him. While Jesus hung on the cross, he prayed, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And in the book of Acts, Stephen, one of, one of Jesus' followers, follows in his footsteps, and as he's being stoned to death, he looks and he says, Father, forgive them. That's what transformation in our heart looks like, right? That someone can be literally killing you, and you can look at them and say, God, I want you to forgive them. I pray that before they die, that they'll come to a place of realizing how far they are from you and that they will come near to you again. He's starting to get it, but, but um, and this is why I got to preach part two in a couple weeks, because at the end of his prayer, he like says a lot of great things, but he says, um, he says in verse eight, he says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I, with the voice of thanks to giving real sacrifice to you, what I have vowed, I will pay. So he has all this worship to God, but at the end he kind of says, oh man, all those idol worshipers, they don't get it, but I get it, and I will make a vow, and I will fulfill my vow to you. And thank God he, he answers broken prayers, right? <laughs> so God like had him spit out of the whale, but, um, but, but in chapters 3 and 4 we see that Jonah still hasn't quite got it. He hasn't arrived at that place of total understanding the heart of God. See, Jonah still has idolatry in his heart. He's fashioned God into his image. He, has, he serves a God that, that does the things that he wants him to do, and God still has some work to do to break him down. And, and that's what God's doing in me, and that's what God is doing in you. Now, how long, no matter how long you've been walking with God, there's things that he still needs to, to tear down, to deconstruct, and praise God that he doesn't lose patience with us. Praise God that he keeps coming after us, and he says, hey, I revealed this much, but, but I've got more to show you if you'll just keep, just keep walking with me. Repent as best as you know how, and, and as you move forward, he'll, he'll keep showing you how to get closer and closer to him. Obedience, discrimination, and judgmentalism. The third lens I want to look at is just this idea of sacrifice, and, and it really is a simple one. Um, they look at Jonah, and they say, hey, what do we need to do to still the storm? And, Jesus, and Jonah says, hey, throw me overboard. Um, and so you can look at it and say, wow, what a valiant thing of self-sacrifice to save, you know, the other people. Um, but let's not forget that he caused the storm. <laughs> it was his fault. He didn't want to fess up to it. They had to cast lots and finally they were like, no, dude, it's definitely you. Like, what did you do, right? They had to drag it out of him. And finally, and we don't know, Jonah might have been able to just repent and say, God, forgive me. I should have gone to Nineveh. I, I repent. I did the wrong thing. Please stop this storm. Save these men and, and allow me to, to do what you call me to do. Maybe, that, maybe God would have heard that. <laughs> but instead, he has sort of this fatalistic thing where he's like, he's like, I might as well be dead. God told me to do it. I didn't want to do it. I tried to disobey him. Now his judgment's coming. Uh, just chuck me in the ocean. It's over, right? I give up. I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, right? But that's, that's what I... That, that, his sacrifice is still very self-centered in a lot of ways. Now think about that compared to, to the sacrifice of Jesus. We saw in that passage in Mark that, that Jesus didn't have to be thrown into the storm because he could still the storm with his voice. And when Jesus was put on the cross, Jesus didn't have to die on that cross. He could have gotten down from that cross. I mean, think about that. Not just that Jesus was willing to, to, to be sacrificed, but to know that whole time that at any moment he could, he had the power 
to bail out. I try and forget that power when I'm in the middle of a workout, right? <laughs> like at any moment, I could just stop the video and walk away. Jesus loved us enough to stay there even when he could have stopped it and to see it through to completion. He went through the storm that you and I deserved, that he didn't deserve, so that we wouldn't have to go through it. He went through the greatest storm for us, so when we go through these lesser storms, we can trust that he has power over every storm. And if he's allowed it into our life, that he can be glorified through it. Obedience, discrimination, judgment, sacrifice. And then the final thing I want to look at is just, was the, the fish punishment for Jonah? Or is it Jonah's means of salvation? Yes, right? <laughs> I'm sure it's clear from his prayer, it didn't feel good to be swallowed by the fish and go to the bottom of, of the depths. And yet, that was God's vehicle for salvation. And how many of you experienced this in your life where God took you through something that you would not have chosen, you wouldn't have wished upon your worst enemy, and yet, in retrospect, you can look at it and say, man, God was using that to save me. <laughs> he was using that to show me my need for him. He was using that to show me how, how desperate my need was for him. And we know this because the punishment and the method of salvation were the same for Jesus at the cross, right? As he took the punishment for our sins upon the cross, it was also the means of our salvation. So there's so many times when, when we're going through really hard things. And man, I know, I, know, I know a lot of you in this room. I know many of your stories. I know some of the hard things you've gone through. And it doesn't diminish them. It doesn't lessen them. But all I can encourage you is that, that to have that perspective that, man, maybe this is the fish that God is using, and, and, and maybe this is something that there's something he wants to teach me, he wants to show me. Maybe you didn't do anything to bring it upon yourself, like the sailors on the boat, because it was the same thing for them, right? They were being punished for Jonah's sin, but they were experiencing the storm. And some of you guys have been close enough to somebody who was just living in, in unabashed sin that you felt the, the wind and the waves and the, and the storm and the, and the wreckage. Um, and you didn't bring it upon yourself, but it was just because of your proximity to them. But as the sailors went through the storm, what was the result when they came to the end of it? They praised God, right? Jonah's storm that he brought upon them ended up being their vehicle of salvation. I know it sounds cliche, right? But, but every trial, every challenge, every difficulty is an opportunity to experience the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And, and sometimes the sooner we embrace that, the more quickly God can do it. <laughs> Get to the place that he wants us to learn.